Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to City and Guild's Great Jobs podcast, a monthly podcast where we'll dive into some of the issues raised in our recent Great Jobs report, which looks at the severe skill shortages affecting many of UK's essential industries. I'm your host, Kirsty Donnelly, CEO of City and Guild's, and in today's episode, we will be exploring the challenges facing the rail sector in regards to skills and jobs and pinpoint what actions need to be taken to address these. Today, I'm joined by... Neil Robertson, Chief Exec of the National Skills Academy for Rail, responsible for qualifications and training design in the rail industry. Lovely. Good morning, Neil. Lorna Gibson, Training Director for QTS Group and Chair of Women in Rail Scotland. Lovely to have you with us, Lorna. Alex Pond, Managing Director for Intertrain and a board member of the ARTP. Great, lovely to have you with us as well, Alex. And of course, Intertrain is a City and Guilds business as well. So that's great. Thank you very much for joining us on our first Great Jobs podcast. And it's fantastic that we're focusing in on something as important as the rail sector. We released our Great Jobs research earlier this year. But for those of you listening and aren't, aren't perhaps familiar with it, I'll just give a very quick overview before I get into the main conversation with our guests here today. During 2021, we spotted that there seemed to be a clear trend in the reports of skill shortages in the UK. Jobs that have been noted as being key worker jobs during the pandemic, i.e. all those roles and jobs that were critical to running our lives, society generally, were often the ones now that employers were struggling the most to fill. So we teamed up with the economic modellers, MZ Burning Glass, to identify which essential jobs were the hardest to fill in the UK, And then on top of that, we polled 10,000 working age people to understand what the causal effects might have been. We found that some industries had particularly acute talent attraction issues that badly needed to be addressed to enable them to both meet the needs of the nation now, as well as fulfil the potential in the years to come, rail being one one such industry, along with uh, transport and logistics. And that is featured in the news because of the struggles, crippling and ongoing skill shortages, as well as obviously factors to do with the ageing workforce as well. I'm sure many of us have also seen stories over the past few months of empty supermarket shelves and refuse collectors shortages exasperated by HGV drivers being tempted away by delivery companies offering to double their salaries. Transport and logistics is of course a very large and wide varied industry. So in today's podcast theme we thought we would just take a look at a particular strand of transport and focus in on rail and what the distinct issues are impacting skills and jobs in the rail sector. So today's theme is all about what the key actions that are needed to be taken to address skills gaps and labour market shortages in the rail sector today and also for the longer term. We just heard a moment ago from my guests. I'm going to ask each of you, if I may, just in a sort of very short soundbite, just to sort of say what motivated you to work in the rail sector. So, Neil, ever come to you. Thanks, Kirsty, and thanks for your interest in our uh, sector. So, yes, I was working in the energy sector and skills, and I came across some of the issues in rail and saw lots of opportunities. So I thought I could make a difference personally to those. And I saw, I thought there's, there's a lot of potential here that we need to uh, tap 
to give uh, young people lots of uh, exciting careers. So that's why I made the move and I'm glad I did. You've never looked back? No, I haven't actually. And I've stayed longer than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to that later. Thanks, Neil. Lorna, what about yourself? I was actually, like many people, totally unaware of the rail industry. Uh, until in one of my previous roles, I started working with a client, the QTS Group. And I found myself absolutely fascinated by the work that they did and was so impressed with the diverse range of roles and opportunities within the company. When they asked me to join QTS Group, although I had very little knowledge of the rail industry, I, I didn't hesitate. And I haven't looked back since. I'm now the only female director on the board. Uh, and I absolutely love being part of this amazing industry and part of the Railway family where I have been made to feel really welcome. And a big motivator for me was getting the opportunity to join an industry and do some really valuable work towards improving the gender balance in that industry. Oh, thanks, Lorna. And again, that's another theme we'll definitely come back to in our conversation as we go through it um, uh, shortly. Um, and great that you are out there flying the flag for women in rail. And very interesting that um, comment you made about often it's people just not even understanding the variety of opportunities and careers that are, that, that are inside, say, for example, the, the rail sector. And that's true pretty much of every sector these days. We know that careers advice and guidance is one of the core root issues that needs addressing. Alex, if I may come to you. Yeah, um, I was in my early 20s, um, no educational background, uh, no direction. And I saw the railway as a practical industry that offered uh, progression and was also at that time well paid and so I grabbed it with both hands and it's testament uh, to anybody wanting to join the railway that you can succeed anything and I truly believe the railway still holds no boundaries. Brilliant well listen thank you so much Neil, Lorna and Alex for those really personal shares. So let's now get on to the conversation. And Neil, I'm going to come back uh, to you if that's okay. And of course, you're very aware that the rail sector is going to be the recipient of billions of pounds of government investment in the years ahead with large civil projects and such as the now scaled-back HS2, the Northern Powerhouse Rail Upgrade, and all of that is going to have an impact on the number of people needed by as much as, I believe, 50% of the current workforce. And Neil, you, of course, worked with Sitting Hills back in 2020 on the rail research we did called Back on Track, where we highlighted some of these rail labour shortages uh, affecting the sector and that we're going to become critical in the years ahead, including ageing workforce and, and lack of workforce diversity as just a couple, including also the impact then of Brexit and what that's done to the rail sector as well. So I'm just going to come to you now and ask, what you know, overall, what, what do you think needs to be done generally to attract more people into rail? We've heard from you and Lorna and Alex as to what attracted you, but how do we do that at scale? We need to communicate better the quality of the jobs that are available. So it's quality, it's availability, it's the salary and it's the location. I, I've got a theory that we lie to kids from the day they're born. Uh, we, we lie to them about the tooth fairy, we lie to them about Santa, and then we lie to them about the most important thing that they will choose, which is their uh, career. 
I think people spend more time choosing a washing machine than they do their career. And that's partly because we don't put good information in front of them. And that's why it's so good that we've been doing this kind of work with City and Guilds on on showing people where the opportunities are. And we have a website called rootsintorail.org, which sets all of that out. But the, 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 the fact is, as you've very accurately said, Kirsty, is we have got good jobs now that we can't fill. And people want to have good, stable careers and don't necessarily want to be saddled with debt. So what, what do we need to do? We need to communicate that and we need to communicate the different pathways into the uh, industry. And there's three principally. One is get an apprenticeship, which means getting a job. That's that's one of the best routes, but quite hard. The second is go to university and do a relevant degree, whether that's engineering, technical or digital. And the other route, and this is a route that we really want to explore more, is to go to college and do a relevant vocational course, like uh, a national course or a HNC or D type course, in again, engineering or technical. And we've got information on all those routes, but this latter route is one that we want to revive because it's a great way of young people gaining relevant knowledge that will make them very attractive to the industry. No, thanks very much for that, Neil. And, and I suppose that that's a really good uh, look at sort of how we attract young people and new people into the industry. But of course, there's already a lot of people working in rail and we've already touched on the ageing population impact that that's having and the opportunity there will be for people who are already working in the, in the rail sector into new jobs in rail. The example I've got in my mind actually is how does a train driver of today become the driverless train driver of tomorrow, i.e. the person working with the AI that's um, that's helping support the train that doesn't need a driver, if you see what I mean. So what are the new opportunities for people already in rail for them to sort of upskill into other jobs within the rail sector? And that's a great example. And there's a, there's a, there's a new s skill set that probably nobody's really heard of called systems engineering which is somebody who manages and works with a number of systems. You know, if you think of a car, there's a number of systems on the car, aren't there? There's the electronics, there's the, there's the steering wheel, there's, the, there's all of that. So there's different systems. And things, as things get ever more complex, even toasters have systems these days. So <laughs> the, the driver of the future will be a train manager who will be managing systems and probably talking to passengers as well. So the, the, the skill set will get more demanding and more technical. Other other areas, uh, it's even more, it's even simpler actually. Fifty percent of jobs will change out of all recognition because they will have a digital dimension. That doesn't mean that they're coding, they're tapping away, read, you know, hacking into NASA. It means <laughs> that they are able to work with different digital systems and understand them, and particularly to work with data. So if, if young people don't know what to do and they really can't decide and they just want something instinctive choice, go and do data analysis or data science. It's the it's the the fastest growth area that we that we have. No, that's brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Neil. And I think again you've shone a fascinating light on and it's on really the point that Lorna was making earlier about just how much variety there is in rail as a sector both today, but also excitingly as we look to the future.
so Lorna, I'm going to come to you next, if I may, which is about this continuing this theme, really, about the overall um, image issue that maybe impacts rail. I mean, the back on track research that I've just mentioned a moment ago with Neil, that, that we did with Neil, uh, found that the rail sector in general was just not appealing. Uh, something like 32% of people stating they would only consider a career in rail and, and only 6% said that rail careers are desirable. So is it fair to say rail has had an image problem and, and, and also, you know, this dimension as well as attracting more women into rail like yourself. And it's great that we've got role models like you, but clearly, as you say, you're the only female on your board right now. What needs to change? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things need to change. I think they already are changing. Just people don't know about that. The perception of the rail industry and a lot of the people and particularly young people that I go out and speak to in an education environment is that it's male dominated, it's dirty, it's all manual labour. And, you know, there is an element of truth in that for part of it. But as I've said, there are changes taking place. As you know, Neil's just talked about how a lot of the, the roles are becoming more systems related, uh, which is changing the, the type of work and the type of environment that people are coming into. From a female perspective, it is hard to attract females. There's no point in sugarcoating that. They don't find the industry attractive and we need to work on that. And I think one of the things we need to work on is to ensure that employers are able to invite women into a welcoming, inclusive and diverse industry, mm. which at the moment they're really not. And it's all very well sitting around a board table, as we do at QTS and many of my colleagues and other companies do, agreeing that we need to improve our gender balance and how much we want to bring more women into our company, which we genuinely do. But we need to put our money where our mouth is and we need to ensure we're prepared to welcome women into our companies. We need to be able to offer them the conditions that they need whether that's as simple as making sure that there's welfare facilities on sites, that properly fitting PPEs available, that flexible working hours can be offered, or even just that our team members are actually given the quality and diversity training to make sure that they understand what an inclusive and diverse workplace should be like. So I think if we seriously want to attract females into our industry, we need to be attractive to females. And we're we're not at the moment. I go in and speak to a lot of young people in, in different environments and most of them have never really acknowledged the real industry as any type of possible career. So, and I know we'll come on to that, but there needs to be a really big education piece on that uh, to open people's eyes to the real industry and to make them see that it is an attractive place to be. No, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting that you um, touched on the sort of diversity agenda as well. I mean, because for me and, and, and my limited knowledge of the sector, is it, it would strike me that it's a potentially a great sector to create flexibility because of the very nature of the roles that the rail sector has in it, you know, in terms of possibly part-time work, flexibility, working from lots of different locations. I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming that it's got that that's got that built into the sector, hasn't it, to be able to do it. It's how then the sector thinks differently. Absolutely. Uh, there is something for everyone. Um, and that was one of the things that really struck me when I joined the industry and, and got to know it. There is every type of role possible. And one of the things I do when I'm in speaking to young people at schools or colleges, uh, when they show complete lack of interest in the real industry, is ask them, what, what do you want to do? And they might say, oh, I want to be an accountant. So, well, we have accountants working for us. Exactly. I want to be in marketing. We have marketing people working for us. <laughs> you know, we have every role you can almost think of 
working in the real industry and there's just no understanding of that with young people no i think that's absolutely right lorna and i think it's almost it sort of starts to make you think about the uh, a rail campaign doesn't it in terms of what could be done to sort of make people and young people um realize that as well as older workers because of course there's one of the things that you know happened through covid or all those people who worked in particular sectors like travel or, or particular area of travel were who found themselves uh, you know without work or, or aspects of retail not the online part of retail of course who actually got skills that could you know translate into yes. jobs in rail and and trying to attract people into those jobs is that another angle that you've um, you've looked at Yes, definitely. Uh, and I think, again, all part of the, the kind of wider education piece about the industry and, and, you know, podcasts like this are ideal for catching people that maybe wouldn't have considered it. Uh, we recently did an event with LNER uh, through Women in Rail Scotland, and it was interesting to speak to some of their frontline workers. Uh, a lot of them came from aviation. Uh, right. There was a lot of synergy between the types of roles that they did in aviation. Obviously, with COVID, that industry has been, you know, really badly hit uh, and a lot of them have moved over uh, into the rail industry so there are opportunities that people just don't think of. Thanks very much for that Lorna um, and, and right now and perhaps unsurprisingly the sector's workforce is currently I think made up of 85% male largely white and almost a third over the age of 50. So Alex I'm going to come to you now and not in any way suggesting you fit that profile I realise as I said that um, but in all seriousness, building on from what Lorna's just said, um, what more do you think can be done to create a better career experience and encourage a more diverse workforce? I tend to agree with everything that Lorna and Neil have come up and I just want to go back to the flexibility and probably prob the educational route. Um, as we start our lives at the root level in the rail industry, Unfortunately, flexibility is sometimes used in, in the wrong spirit. And we've, we've, we've ended up with a culture of zero-hour contracts where the employer doesn't have the flexibility, resource or finance to invest in education and, and career routes to progress onto the, into the next job, onto the next job and into, into a career. So... I believe this starts at government, that government and network rail and all the key stakeholders around that need to need to provide a more lasting contract investment to the labour supplies or to the principal contractors so that they, they can invest in their staff. And by investing in their staff, we can then work with those stakeholders to get an educational system in place and educate how to use the levy and, and put in systems and frameworks that work for the industry. Because at the minute, we miss so many people because they come into the industry, realise they're not going to get sustained employment and leave the industry and we're losing so much talent. And those first people who make those first steps, like myself, do progress. Sometimes we're just looking at, sometimes we tend to just look at the mid-level of progression rather than going to the routes, the hard to reach, into mm -hmm. these societies, providing a structure where they can have sustained employment. Because at the minute, 20, 30, 40%, I don't know, I haven't got, I haven't got any data, are working poor on the railway. And I think that's sad. 20 years ago when I worked on the railway at a base level, at a semi-skilled level, I was very well paid. 
today at that level they're working poor yeah that's very interesting actually and actually very interesting insight because one of the uh, findings that came out of the great jobs research which is what's led to uh, these series of podcasts that we're going to be do featuring in on different jobs and sectors is the three findings really were about um reward and pay and i say reward and pay because it's not always about pay it's about the wider reward then the other finding was training and then the other finding was flexibility and actually i think already on our conversation today we've touched on all of those as being aspects that need to be addressed pretty much across any essential job but certainly seems to be true of the rail sector You said earlier, Alex, about going out into um, those hardest-to-reach societies, uh, society, and trying to trap more people in and diversify that talent pool to recruit from. And I know that you've been doing some great work bringing in, for example, ex-offenders into the rail industry. Do you want to say a little bit more about the work you've been doing there? We've hit a point in 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 the UK with all industries are struggling for talent, and uh, I believe that if we truly believe in rehabilitation. Um, and sitting gills believe that if you truly believe in rehabilitation we need to train turn those those prisons into schools and we need to look at industry's requirements we need to work out what they are and we need to train the skills within the prisons with direct job outcomes on release and by doing that and which we have done by doing that we're not also helping the skill sorties we're also helping society which i'm very passionate about we've had a number of really successful projects over over the last two years and we can only build on those successes and really really talking to industry talking to our stakeholders to ensure that when we are going into the prisons we're training the skills that they actually need not what we think they need what they actually need and that we've got the commitment from industry on release that they are going to employ and, and aren't you aren't you also going one step deeper and looking at how we can even go into the prisons and start the training actually while offenders are still inside before they come out as ex-offenders? 100% and, and that is the key. Right. We, we, we need to look at the Timpsons model, copy that and bring that in, in, in into our industry, into the rail industry, then into the power industry, then to the nuclear industry and go everywhere because the successes that we've already have of training in the prisons onto job has been phenomenal. Great. Thanks very much for that, Alex. I'm going to come back now to you, Neil, if I may, and just touch on that Brexit factor that I mentioned right up front, because there's no doubt there has been a Brexit factor to the skills issues that you faced in, in rail, hasn't there? Yeah, we, we, uh, we've lost 10% of our workforce south of Derby. It's a huge loss. Just as, as you said earlier, we're spending more money, we're investing. And we, so we're, we're, our, our, our workers are getting older. Uh, we've lost lots of people and there's more demand. And also we stopped doing apprenticeships for two years to a certain extent because of COVID. And it wasn't, it wasn't ethical really to bring in young people 
to just tell them to sit at home. They, they couldn't learn anything. So that there was a real slowdown. So we need to double the number of apprenticeships that we offer. And a lot of what we do is spend a lot of time with employers, helping them understand the business case. Alex touched on some of the challenges there, but, but employers really understand the importance of doing this and working together on this. So there's a really positive story around increasing the number of apprenticeships, different kinds of apprenticeships, as we've discussed today, all kinds, not just, not just technical and making them available to a wider range of people. So people that might not imagine that they could work in the railway in an apprenticeship probably can. Great. So, so almost then, Neil. Sorry, Neil. No, I was just going to add that it's it's uh, that we, we really have turned a corner on this. And one of the things that's really helped us turn this corner is the business case for this, which is that we, we the, the, the alternative is to pay wage inflation. And wage inflation is yeah. currently running at over 10%, which proves that, you know, economics, the first law of economics, and I won't tell you any more economics, I promise, but first law of economics is demand and supply. And uh, if supply goes down, demand goes up and prices go up. It's very simple. And that's happening. And that's proof of all the things we've talked about today. And it's now. So employers are having to pay these higher wages and are seeing the business case for investing more in apprenticeships. Absolutely. Very, very well said. And, and actually, it's fascinating you say that because I think not just apprenticeships as important as they absolutely are, but training more generally. I think employers are having to wake up and realise that investing in training substantially is one of the ways that probably singularly through uh, the issues that we face across all these skill shortages across multiple sectors. Well, look, what great insights and views. And, of course, every podcast uh, is probably best ending when there's still so much more to be said. And I think we've probably reached that point here. But before we bring it to a close, let me just ask my guests one last sort of uh, question, a sort of special magic wand question. And if you have that magic wand in your hand in sort of about 20 seconds each, what's the one magic wand wish you would make to have the maximum impact for solving the skills and labour market shortages faced in rail? What was the one thing you would really focus in on? Lorna, I'll come to you first. I think if I was waving my magic wand today, um, I would just want to have a lot of young people, particularly young women, embracing the fantastic career opportunities that the rail industry provides uh, and making our industry their career choice. Great. Neil? I mentioned earlier about washing machines. So I'd love to see the Witch magazine as an example of consumer choice, uh, which magazine version of what are the best jobs to to have a good salary in the future? Brilliant. Alex? Uh, design, deliver, fit for purpose, educational structure for the rail industry for all disciplines, remove zero-hour contracts and integrate prison rehabilitation into the industry. Brilliant. Well, look, what's some great magic ones there, as well as all those brilliant insights. And I hope anybody listening to this podcast, employers, people from the rail sector and, and generally will have will have benefited so much from all the points that Neil, Lorna and Alex have made. So thank you so much to our great guests for this superb insights and discussion. And let's hope those magic, magic ones um, happen. It sounds like there's a lot of challenges, but there's a bright future uh, for this vital industry. And has so much growth to still come so let's hope we can attract train and retrain people into the jobs of today 
and tomorrow. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to our first Great Jobs podcast. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you follow our series. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, please do reach out to us on social media at City and Gills, where you'll find our accounts highlighted. And you can also link to our Great Jobs report, which was the driver behind this new series. Until the next episode, let's keep on recognising the essential jobs that keep the UK moving, healthy and working. Thank you very much and we'll see you again next month when we're going to be focusing in on green skills. Bye.